0: My name is Evan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Antioch, and it is, uh, it's is—it's my pleasure to speak with you here this morning. Um, if you are new or visiting with us, uh, you are arriving in the middle of a series. We've been, for the last several weeks now, we've been talking about the Apostles' Creed, which we have kind of up on either side here. And so you're jumping in uh, a little bit midstream, but I think it's going to be okay. Um, we'll be all right. Um, one of the things that... Pete has continued to say throughout this series so far, as we've been walking through it line by line, is the Christian faith is a received faith, right? It's something that we're given, it's something that we're handed when we say, uh, I would like to follow Jesus, and we, we get a Bible, and then we receive things like this, the Apostles Creed, which is simply an affirmation of our faith. And the beautiful thing about the fact that it's received is that we don't have to make it up, right? Right? Can you imagine if for the last several weeks we'd come here and spent an hour brainstorming what we think we should believe? We'd probably come up with some really interesting things, right? And I know for me, the daunting task of trying to sit down and write a theologically accurate statement about the Christian faith and then hand it to someone else is absolutely terrifying, So I don't know about you, but I, for one, am incredibly grateful for scripture and for things like the Apostles' Creed that people have wrestled through the ages and boiled it down to saying this, this is what we as followers of Jesus believe. I find it incredibly helpful. The other thing about the Christian faith being received is that we don't get to exchange it right? It doesn't come with a gift receipt. It's not like one of those packages you open up and then right on top is the gift receipt in case you don't like it, right? Because a gift receipt, then you can take it back and exchange it and get what you actually want. We don't get to do that with Scripture, and we don't get to do that with the Apostles' Creed either. We don't get to exchange it, and we don't get to change it. We're simply asked to receive it. Now, I emphasize that here this morning because I'd be willing to bet if you're anything like me, You brought a little baggage in this morning. We always do, right? Anytime we approach scripture, anytime we we approach the creed, we bring a previous thought or previous knowledge or previous experience with not just the creed itself, but with the language that's used in it. And so before we dig in here this morning, I'm going to do this to start. I'm going to ask you to put your baggage down to just let it go. Jesus invites us to lay our burdens at his feet, and that's what I'm inviting you to do here this morning. So any preconceived notion of the Apostles' Creed that you may previously have, other than maybe what Pete said for the last few weeks and Nathan a few weeks ago, right? You can keep that. Um, But anything else that you've brought, whether it's from your childhood or your upbringing or headlines in the news or anything like that, I'm gonna ask you to lay it all down and to trust the Spirit of God this morning that we would simply listen to what he has to say. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning in the name of your son Jesus and through the power of your spirit. We ask that you would be faithful to meet us here, that we might experience you. We pray this in Jesus' name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning we're going to start out, we're talking about the lines over here, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. I think we have it on the screen as well. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. Now you put all your baggage down, so there's no reaction. You're just taking that at face value, right? (laughs) Yeah, it was funny when Pete asked me to preach and then gave me this line I said, you know, Judgment Day was probably harder to preach on, but this one's got the most baggage, man, really? But here we are, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. We're just going to start with the first line because there is some unpacking we need to do here. We're going to study this. We're going to pull it apart a little bit and figure out what it is that that the the writers of the creed were trying to say here. So the first thing we're just going to do is take it at face value. In English, that first line, the Holy Catholic Church translates to this. I believe in the exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness, universal church. Anybody know what that means? Does it even make sense? So first off, we have to recognize that the modern day English that we use today, the vernacular that we communicate in, you can't just exactly lay that over. Our understanding of the creed. We need to dig in a little bit and try to understand what's actually being said here. So first and foremost, we'll take the word holy. Holy. In English, it means morally good and pure. And that's an accurate definition. That's what we're all familiar with, right? The idea of like holier than thou. You're better than me. You're more good than me. All the teachers in the room just cringed, more good. And that's what it means in English. But in Hebrew, it's a little different. The Hebrew word that's used here is pronounced kadash, which means set apart for a specific purpose. We call this the Holy Bible, right? The Holy Bible. Now, is, is the Holy Bible holy because it's a morally good book? That's not even even a statement. A book can't be moral or immoral. It's a book, right? We call it the Holy Bible because it's set apart for a specific purpose, right? In the scripture that Mel read just a little bit ago, we read that God declares us his chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, are we chosen Because we're morally good and pure? Show of hands. Or are we chosen because we're set apart for a specific purpose? So first thing we need to unpack and realize is that holy is not about moral rightness. It's not about moral goodness. It's not about judging each other and trying to compare who, who meets the line. What the writers of the creed were trying to communicate here is that the church is holy because it is set apart for a specific purpose. Now, the second thing to note about holy is that if something is going to be set apart, it has to be set apart by someone, right? And then they have to actually do the act of setting it apart. There's an outside source acting upon it in order to make it holy, The beautiful thing about the creed and how it's structured, real quick, I want to point out is that it's structured in a Trinitarian nature, meaning it breaks down our understanding of the Father and his work. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker in heaven and earth. First one. The second, I believe in Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus, that he was born, lived, died, was crucified, buried, and then rose again and ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. We're affirming our belief in Jesus and the work that he did. And then over here we get to, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. What we're talking about is we're affirming our belief in the Holy Spirit and we're affirming our belief in the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that outside source empowering the church to be holy. We read this in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. So, what we're seeing here is that holiness is determined by God and it gives us a new identity. We are holy and a purpose. We are set apart, there's a reason. God does this through the power of his spirit and, in doing so, declares us holy, giving us a new identity and a new purpose. We are adopted. So it's a little bit different understanding of holy to start, right? Next, we'll jump into the word Catholic. It's one of the favorite words, right, of the whole Christian church, Catholic. So much division over this one word. And what's amazing is that it's just a little bit of understanding, a little bit of study, and all of a sudden it's not nearly as offensive. So why all the baggage with the word Catholic? Well, in 1054... The Catholic Church, the Church of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, split from the Protestant Church, right? And so it would be logical that at that time, since the creed already existed, was penned in 381, that they would simply, the Protestants, either delete the word Catholic or would do what's often done, exchange it for the word Christian. I believe in the Holy Christian Church. Now, if you you come from a Protestant background, then that's a lot easier to say. And if you come from a background of of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, then maybe it's a bit confusing to say, I thought I was at a Christian church, and now I'm I'm professing faith in the Catholic Church. But the key thing to understand here is that the creed was not affirming the Roman Catholic Church. The, The word Catholic here is used as a descriptor, as an adjective. It's describing the nature of the church, which changes the meaning entirely. We can let all of that other baggage go. So in the English translation, the word Catholic means universal. We read that earlier. And really, the word universal is pretty interchangeable here. It seems like it would work really well, right? We believe in one God, and so we're one church, universally united, The message of of the gospel of Jesus is universal in that it applies to all people, all walks of life. It's offered to all people. The message of the gospel is universal in the nature that it speaks to all human experience, right? To mind, body, and soul, to birth, life, death. The gospel speaks to all of it. It's, It's universal in our understanding. So it would seem that to say that the Holy Catholic Church is universal, that it's for everyone, seems like it would be an accurate understanding here. And that is a true statement. The gospel of Jesus is for everyone, but the emphasis here is really crucial in understanding what the writers are trying to communicate. Because the Greek word that's used here is catholicos, which means according to the whole. So, if, if the church is according to the whole, if it's Catholic, then the emphasis isn't that it's universal for everyone, but that everyone is invited to be a part of it. If we're talking about according to the whole, then we're talking about individual parts that are joined together to make up a whole. So, this idea of going to and from church isn't a thing according to our understanding. You can't go to and from church. You are the church. Likewise, if you get that friend that says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I really do. But man, I just don't believe in the church. Then you can just stop them and very calmly help them understand that, no, I'm sorry. If you believe in Jesus, then you are the church. And if that doesn't work, then you're just gonna have to take it up with the spirit of God. Right? Because he's the one doing this work. So, this is the work of the Spirit. That is what they are trying to describe here by saying the church is holy and Catholic. The church is holy and Catholic because it's declared holy by the Spirit of God and joined together to be made whole. And then you ask, how do you join people together? Is there people glue? Is there some kind of spiritual tape? that the Holy Spirit is using? Well, let's find out. 1 Corinthians 12, it says this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. So the bond that the Holy Spirit is using to join the church together is Christ. Christ is the bond. He is what unites us. He is what holds us together. He is what makes us Catholic. This is what our identity as the Holy Catholic Church is. We are the body of Christ. So it's a little bit different understanding that at least for me, I learned through the study and preparation of this measure of going, the Holy Catholic Church is very different than I grew up believing it to be. And my understanding of the creed here, the Holy Catholic Church is the work of the Holy Spirit, inviting people to be joined together as the body of Christ. I have zero issues with that, and I am so incredibly excited about that. That is good news. So the next line that we move on to, communion of saints. Now this one's a little bit easier to unpack, but just to play with that kind of English translation again, we'll throw uh, the English translation up. The act or instance of sharing with those officially recognized, especially through canonization as preeminent for holiness. I don't know what that means. I, would, I wish I could sit here and just break that down and tell you exactly what that means, but I have no idea what that means. It sounds a bit like we're supposed to share things with really important people, right? It's something I, I don't particularly want to do, let alone why is it important? So we'll break it down real quick. The communion. Communion in English means sharing, the act of sharing. And in Hebrew, it also means sharing. It's so nice when they line up together. It works so much better. Communion means sharing. But hagios, this is the translation for holy one. So the communion of saints, the word there is hagios, which means holy one which as we already broke down in the first chunk, we understand that Holy One is who? Those who have been set apart by the Spirit of God and joined to Christ. They are the Holy Ones. They are declared holy by God. So this is what the communion of saints is. It's the sharing of the Holy Ones, sharing with the Holy Ones. This is our purpose. So if this process of holiness is about understanding identity, and then defining our purpose. The second part here is about our purpose. But what does that actually look like? The communion of saints, sharing with holy ones. The first thing that came to mind for me, and I don't know why, was like all of us sitting around one big fire, holding hands, singing Kumbaya with Nathan on the guitar. I was like, that, that sounds a little bit cool. It sounds a little weird. But I don't really think that's what the the picture here is. So we'll refer back to the text that Mel read this morning, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Does that sound like the kind of community that you would want to be a part of? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, binding everything together. Is that the kind of community you would want to be a part of? Yeah, there's a couple of you. I don't know what the rest of you are interested in, but for you guys, I agree. That sounds absolutely amazing. It really does. Those are all incredibly good things that I crave, that I desire as a human. Recently, I heard Eugene Peterson sum it up like this. He said, the gift of the church is relationship without competition. The gift of the church is relationship without competition. Sit with that for a minute. How does that sound? Man, I don't know about you, but for me to not have to compete. I was a wrestler for like 15 years, all the way up through college. Played lots of sports as a kid. Like, My life was built on competition, and as a senior in college, do you know what I felt more than any other thing? Tired. (laughs) Tired. How many of us came in this morning tired? Tired of competing. Tired of competing at work, just trying to get an extra dollar. Tired of competing on Instagram. Who's got the better life? Who had the better vacation? Tired of competing with family. Thanksgiving's coming. Any competition gonna come? Probably a little bit. I'm tired of it. (laughs) Personally, I'm really tired. So the picture of that church that we see in Colossians of kindness, compassion, Patience, love, forgiveness. Man, that sounds good. It sounds like a spiritual spa. Sounds amazing. But I'll be honest. If we look at that passage, we throw that up on the screen again real quick. Clothe yourselves. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. Put on. That all still sounds like work to me. Clothe myself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I can't hardly do that for an hour, let alone faithfully do it always. Bear with each other? That just sounds hard. I'd rather not. Forgive? Do you have any idea the wrongs that have been done to me? Why should I forgive? Do you know how much work it is to forgive someone? To forgive pain, wound, hurt, wrongdoing? I'd rather not. Is this really what it means to follow Jesus? Is this really what we're invited to? Is this our purpose? To work really, really hard at being good and loving each other. Yes, (laughs) right? That's what Jesus said, love one another, love your neighbor, you will be known by your love. Over and over and over again, this is what Jesus says. But it's interesting. I I think he offers a different way than just trying really, really hard. Because you see, if we're gonna to try to understand what it is that Jesus invites us to, then we should probably look at what he said and what he did. And with the disciples, it was interesting. You remember in Matthew when it said, and then J- Jesus gave the disciples the seven habits of highly effective followers? <laughs> Do you guys remember reading that? Or the, the Sermon on the Mount, when they threw up a video camera and he had all these TED Talks? that told everybody like, how to do life really well and quickly and better and faster? Do you guys remember that? No, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't give the disciples a bunch of rules and a bunch of structures and a bunch of ways to live really well together. What did he say? Jesus said, come on, follow me. Well, what do, what do you want us to do, Jesus? I just want you to be with me. Just be with me. Then I want you to listen to what I say. And I want you to watch what I do. I want you to listen and I want you to watch. And then I want you to listen some more. And then I want you to watch. And then I want you to do as I am doing. And what is it that Jesus said and did? I think you could sum up all of Jesus' ministry with the disciples in this phrase. I think Jesus said to the disciples, my father loves you, let me show you. Full stop. I think that's what Jesus was trying to say for three years to these guys. My father loves you, let me show you. Because what did Jesus do? He would walk around and he would go, hey guys, you see this field of wildflowers? That's just gorgeous, like breathtakingly gorgeous. You see that? My Father wants to make you more glorious and beautiful than that field. You see those sparrows flying up there? You see how they never worry about eating? My Father wants to feed you so that you're never hungry. This is what Jesus did all day long, every day. He brought new life. He brought nourishment. He brought healing and he brought love to literally everyone he encountered. This is what changed the life of the disciples, proximity to the person of Jesus, listening to him and watching him. That's what transformed the lives of Jesus' followers. But you know the the thing that I think really put it over the top for him? Watching Jesus live out the complete freedom that he lived. Watching Jesus live out an incredible unconditional love for others. Watching Jesus live a depth of life that was like nothing they had ever seen. And I think in the midst of all that, I think this was the crucial point. In the life of Jesus, the disciples witnessed a son faithfully abiding in the love of his father. And it absolutely transformed their lives. A son faithfully abiding in the love of his father. That is what this book is about, a father's love for his son. This is our true purpose. This is what we are invited into. One of the first lines of the scripture we read in Colossians read, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and what? Dearly loved. And if holy means set apart for a purpose, the purpose is to be dearly loved. That is why we are chosen. That is why we are declared holy. That is why we are united to the person of Jesus so that we can enjoy and experience and fully Take in the Father's love. The definition that I landed on is this. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, is the community of people who through the work of the Spirit have been joined to the body of Christ for the purpose of experiencing the complete and perfect love of the Father. I believe that's what the writers of the creed were trying to communicate. The people of God are holy, chosen, set apart, united to Christ through the work of the spirit for the purpose of being loved. That's it, this is, that, that's our true purpose. So, the question I have to ask is Is that true for us? Is that true of Antioch Church? Do we believe that we are members of the Holy Catholic Church? Do we participate in the communion of saints? Do we see the work and evidence of the Spirit in our midst? Are we celebrating when people are united and joined to the body of Christ? Do we experience the father's love? Recently, I was hanging out with a group of guys and there was music on, so it was kind of loud. And there was a bunch of, bunch of dudes talking, several conversations happening. There was a ping pong game happening in the back. Kind of a raucous environment. And I'm sitting there and one of the guys that's in, in kind of the immediate conversation gets a phone call. And it was loud, so he was loud. So I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I did happen to overhear at least the beginning of the conversation. And I'm not going to name names or share any details that shouldn't be shared or anything like that. But I, I believe it speaks to what we're talking about this morning, this idea of tasting the Father's love. And how good and how sweet and how true and how perfect that is. And so his phone rang and he picked it up and he said, "Hey man. How's it going?" Pause. The guy probably said like, "Hey, it's good, you know." And then he goes, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "I'm hanging out with a bunch of Christians, man. I'm a Jesus follower. It's amazing." And I think if Jesus was sitting there in our midst, he would have gone, that, right there. That is what it looks like to experience the love of my father. It was an amazing moment for me, literally life-changing. I was like, oh my gosh. The spirit of God has worked on this man's life has united him to Christ, and he is tasting the Father's love? And you know what his response is? I'm a Jesus follower. It's amazing. Sorry to all the babies. But, man, it was amazing. That is amazing. That is such good news, is it not? The good news this morning for us is that this journey of following Jesus is not about working hard. It's not about reading enough self-help books. It's not about memorizing a thousand TED Talks. There's a new one every hour. I don't know how anyone keeps up. It's not about trying to work hard to make ourselves holy and worthy of love. It's about putting all that down. And saying, Jesus, I just want to be with you. That's it. It's about relationship. The last few verses in Colossians read like this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's three key words in there. Let. 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 Jesus is saying, Let me love you. You don't need to do anything. Just let me love you. Let my peace rule in your hearts. Let my message dwell richly among you. Let my love penetrate and transform everything you do. That's what I think Jesus is saying here. He's saying, let me love you. Just be with me and let me love you. This is what I believe it means to, be, to believe in the holy Catholic church, the communion of saints. To believe that we are in fact a people set apart by God and united to Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit for the sole purpose of experiencing the perfect love of the Father. The perfect love of the Father. Which lands us back where I started us. The Christian faith is a received faith. We don't get to make it up. We don't have to make it up. I wouldn't want to make it up. But the beautiful thing about something that's received is that we call that a gift. If you receive something, you were given a gift. And the reality of the conversation this morning is that we've been offered a gift and there's nothing we need to do to earn it or pay for it or try to prove ourselves worthy of it. God has done all the work. God is doing all the work. And he's simply saying, will you receive it? This morning, as we come to the table, to the communion table, there's a meal here that you're simply invited to receive. You don't have to do anything to earn it, it is given to you. It's a holy meal, it's been set apart for a specific purpose. It's a Catholic meal and then it represents the body of Christ to which we have all been joined. And it literally is the communion of saints. This is the historic communal meal of those who profess Jesus as Lord. It's a celebratory, celebratory meal of the communion we share in Christ. We take the bread representing Christ's body We dip it in the cup, representing his blood, and we eat, we receive Jesus. It's a gift of grace, and this morning I invite you all to receive the gift of Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we are so incredibly grateful for your creating work. We're so thankful that you have sent your son, Jesus. And we are so thankful for the work of your spirit uniting us to Christ that we might taste and experience the fullness of your love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.